0: Okay, let's get started here. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining here today, Um, and welcome to today's panel discussion on how to protect your client base and defend against uh, uh, client uh, attrition. Um, When you think about all of the topics that keep CRAs up at night, we know from experience that this one is, is a biggie. Um, and so we're looking forward to sharing um, our mutual expertise with you on what you can do to guard against this. Um, and, and so uh, we will get started on that shortly. Uh, before we do get started, um, I'll remind everybody that we are recording uh, the webinar. Um, and so if you want to review the highlights and, and perhaps even some lowlights uh, later in the day or at a later date and time, we'll be sending this out to all of you. Um, within the next day. Uh, And also, as I had mentioned before, um, for questions, please go ahead and use the Q&A panel. Um, We will do our best to either address those questions throughout the presentation uh, or during our Q&A time period at the end. Um, And uh, so uh, let's also, uh, we, we started something the last webinar that we did where uh, Kevin, Jason and I all gave a shout out to um, specific CRAs in the in the industry that had been doing some interesting things over the last month or so. Um, and so let's start with that. Jason, I'm gonna let you go first.
1: Well, mine's less CRA and more industry. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to PBSA for uh, having their virtual conference went off uh, without a hitch. Uh, the content was great. The networking opportunities were fantastic, and I commend them for, under these circumstances, being able to do something like that.
0: Go ahead, Kevin.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking and looking a lot lately at a company called Noble Diagnostics out of Wisconsin. They're a medical testing and diagnostic services shop. They have an emerging and growing screening division, and lately they've rolled out some active shooter uh, training drills, way to help workforces. Uh, combat, uh, gun violence, how to protect themselves, large manufacturing facilities. And they're really trying to build a wide kind of net around their product and service offerings just to be more appealing to to their clients, more of a one-stop shop. So uh, there's someone to to look out for.
0: Great. Thanks, Kevin. And and my shout is going to go to HireRight, who announced a database to expose abusive drivers. Um, This is initially supposed to be used for both Uber and Lyft. Uh, they call it the sharing safety program. Um, I know that databases like this sometimes can be controversial, but I know that Jason, Kevin, and I are always talking about innovation in the space and pushing the envelope and figuring out new things. Um, And this is just one new thing that we've seen that we we thought was particularly noteworthy. Okay. All right, and today's panelists, I think, you all know, Jason, uh, Kevin, and I very well. Um, you know, we're all very interested in the issue of, of, of client retention and have been keenly focused on it from the time that we ran our own CRA. Um, and so when I was telling uh, our buddy, Joel Passon here about it, um, and then got a chance to learn what he was doing in this space, um, not only when he owned and operated Newton Software, Um, but also uh, what he's been doing since that time, which we're going to let him tell you about that shortly. But let me give you a brief introduction on Joel. Um, He's a proven go-to-market expert with 20 plus years of experience creating value and driving measurable results at the intersection of sales, customer operations, marketing, partnerships, and product. And like I mentioned, um, before, uh, Joel started sturdy AI, which again, he's going to tell you about, um, he was the head of sales, head of global sales at Beamery, um, leading enterprise go-to-market teams in both the U S and the UK. And as I had mentioned earlier before, he also co-founded and operated, uh, Newton software, um, which he successfully, uh, Exited in 2015 uh, via Paycor. So, uh, Joel, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, please share with our audience what you're doing in terms of Sturdy AI.
3: Sure, well, I appreciate everybody being here. We got a we got a good crowd, and um, it's nice to actually see. I, I just got a text from two people that I haven't talked to in a long time. So, uh, who are on? Who are participants today? So that, that's really cool. Um, and then, uh, of course, Kevin. Jason and Nick, I've known for a long time. But um, to Nick's question, um, I co-founded um, I a company that was uh, or, or is operating in the AI space. Um, basically what we do is we analyze customer communications and um, distill signals from those co- customer communications to, that impact the bottom line. So you can tell that that's my uh, VC pitch, the rip cord in my neck. What we really do is we analyze tickets and emails and the back ends of calls like these critical sin- signals that oftentimes lead to churn. So you can preempt that stuff. Um, but also upsells and customer references and all kinds of business critical s- uh, signals that we we pull out. And then we we make certain that the right people get them at the right time, because oftentimes those are really perishable signals. So uh, when I told the guys that I was working on this, they're like, do you think it would work for CRAs? I'm like, actually, I, I, I do. Um, and we already have uh, a bit of traction in the space. So uh, I'm happy to be here and uh, just happy to be a part of the panel.
0: Okay, thanks, Joel. Um, so why don't we get into our agenda, uh, Kevin? I'll I'll take it. Uh, leave it to you.
2: Yeah, let's dive in. Uh, thanks, Nick. You know, here, here's what we're tackling today, guys. As you as you look at the screen, you know, as as you read this, has has the risk of churn increased? Uh, yeah, and that's a problem. But there's so much opportunity there for us to capitalize on. So this is not a Debbie Downer webinar. This is, hey, how do we understand? Um, what's at play, but how do we also, you know, by, by strengthening ourselves, how do we look to capitalize on the mistakes of others? Um, the uh-ohs, those questions. Clients are talking, or are we listening? Who's listening? Uh, Joel has some really exciting ideas on that. Um, analog and digital, preventing churn, and, and like I said, capitalizing on others. It's a it's a combination of solutions. Um, compliance and retention, we, we don't have a slide on that, but you know, it's real important to keep in mind that CRAs that retain don't need to entertain those gray area process requests. you know when you, you keep those dollars in-house from your current clients, you're, you're not as desperate. You don't have to take those risks when ch- because you're chasing a bunch of new dollars to replace the old dollars that are that are walking out the door. Uh, contracts, SLAs, how can they counterintuitively help you? Um, you know we, we used to shudder at, at the thought of them, but maybe they're not such a bad idea anymore. And, and listen, as we dive in, I, like I always say, You had a lot of choices to what to do with an hour of your of your life today. And and there's a lot that you're going to do after this webinar, this afternoon, that you're not doing now because you're here with us. And just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge it, appreciate it because we really, really respect that. So thank you. All right, Nick, let's go. All right. Clients, why do they leave? You know, not a lot of surprises here, but but too often, you know, these sometimes. Fly under the radar. I'll I'll open it to the group and and Joel. I'm interested in your thoughts first. You know, which of these do you see companies not really realize
3: um, until it's too late? I think that um, you know, when we look at um, a lot of the answers that I would give in this kind of category, Kev is more around. We have some studies that we've done on millions and millions of tickets, specifically from the TA and HCM space. So, you know, kind of akin to what I think CRA folks would would live with as well. But we find that um, surprisingly, of course, you're always going to have price as a factor. But the signals that we're finding in data is more around feature requests and people get, and Kevin, you and I have talked about this, You know if you're not telling your customers that you're doing new things or have new goods and services to offer them then they often get a wandering eye and might go somewhere else because i think kevin you you thought about it like it's just the same old vendor that i've had maybe there's something shiny and new out there whereas we as the incumbent vendor for example might have those shiny new products and services but we're just not communicating them effectively to our base um I think there are quality issues that oftentimes, you know, customers are raising their hand and saying, Hey, I'm having these issues, I'm having these issues, and we'll get to this later, but are we empathic, you know, does our team have the empathic um, tuning fork per se, or, the, or the, the, the the listening device to understand that they're frustrated? And oftentimes the answer is no. And so those are just two really big examples that I think of that we see trends in the data um, that we're analyzing.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right, you know, we're riffing on our, um a rehearsal call a couple of days ago and we talked about uh, client surveys and, and I mentioned to the group. And if you've listened to me or, or the pod, the background check radio podcast, you've heard me talk about client surveys and what traditionally is one of the worst performing questions on a client survey. And that's, you know, to, to Joel's comment, it's a question that says, um, you tell me when new products or services become available. And that's always one of the worst scoring questions on the survey. So you're right, Joel, there's opportunity there for, for all of us. Uh, Jason, Nick, we've all done this for a long time. What are some of the reasons that you see most common, common uh, um, areas why clients leave?
1: Um, You know, I, I see the the new shiny toy is, is always the big one. Uh, They, they, somebody calls them and and tells them that they can do something that maybe your current vendor can't when they actually can, that's just not being communicated effectively either. Um, So I think the shiny new toy is probably number one. Um, I think that most clients these days understand that mistakes can be made in background checks and it's not a perfect science so they get that part of it um so i think that that's probably not you know number two but probably price people are coming after them every single day
0: uh offering them something like that yeah and
2: we're going to talk about price later for sure nick go ahead
0: kevin i'll i'll piggyback off of what you said in terms of um making sure that you're always reinforcing what it is you do um, you know, I'm working with an organization right now um, where uh, they have a long-standing relationship doing what they do, but they haven't really gone out to the market and really told them how special it is for a very long time. Um, and so we we've built campaigns around um, what we're doing. How we've changed what we're doing, new technological advancements in what we're doing, mean, um, it really seems to be resonating with within the customer base. So I think there's a lesson there for anybody that is, um, you know, whether they're sales, service, or in marketing, just continuing to drive home the value prop every single time you're yeah. talking with your customers. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jason.
1: I was just going to say that that, that goes right in line with somebody that, that that's near and dear to our heart that used to say, don't fall in love with yourself. And I think a lot of times people, you know, companies fall in love with what they're doing and forget to communicate those things to their client base. And that's why they lose clients.
0: That person, by the way, Jason was talking to you, not to clients. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, I'll also tell a, a really quick story here. Um, and, and hopefully I won't get too long winded. But Kevin, when I... When I started looking at this slide a little a little bit closer, I related back to one of our long tenured clients, uh, one of our largest clients uh, that was a financial institution. Um, and we had worked with this company for years um, doing a significant amount of volume. Um, it would be frustrating to us, but the way that they operated their program, they rotated people in and out of those yeah. who were responsible for overseeing background checks. And for years, we just kept rolling through. Then at some point, they decided to take the function or the oversight of background checks away from risk management and into HR. And I think we all had our oh no moment right then um, because we basically got taken out um, based on the shiny new toy, new leadership, technology, and price.
1: Well, all, and Nick, all four would, things at one time. I would also add paradigm shift because when it went from risk management to recruiting, yeah. the, the, there was a whole shift in, in the reason and the theory behind getting something quick versus getting something accurate.
0: Yeah, and I yeah, guess I, we would say in some ways, perhaps we were complacent because we had been so used to doing it in the model that we were doing it before. We forgot to cover our six when it came to the possibility that there was a new sheriff in town, right? I'm, you, glad yeah.
3: you that, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, sorry to interrupt, but I think combining sure. new leadership and the complacency piece is really important, right? Like um, we talked about this earlier. If you think my background is not CRA, so I bring a little bit different lens to the, to the party today and, and, and a little bit different perspective for that matter. But the, the thing that I was gonna say is that in the, in the enterprise SaaS business, right? One of the things that I tell my go-to-market teams um, on the account management side specifically also in sales, is that you have to be multi-threaded. And we talked about this and, and Kevin, I think we're going to get into this a little bit, like how do you stave off some of these things. But if you're complacent and you're only um, talking to this one person that feels really good and they love you and you love them, you have a great relationship, you send them the holiday card and you get one back, that kind of stuff, that's great. But um, to your point about the financial services institution, if you would have been multi-threaded, not only in the risk management group, but also in the recruiting group, also in the HR group, maybe somebody in procurement, and you had relationships and you worked on relationships that are in multiple lines of business, then you're essentially warding off risk because even if there is going to be a turnover event, you're probably going to get a signal or a warning or a trigger from one of those people that tips you off that something is brewing. And if you can get ahead of that or be a part of that conversation you might be saving a customer without even knowing you're saving a customer. And and what I like about what Joel had just said because I was gonna
2: I was gonna put a little silver lining on that story, right? Because that that Nick taught, because right that that was a problem for us, and eventually we lost the client. Um, but we knew and started worrying about that two three years in advance. So for us, it didn't chop our head off, you know, with with a month's notice. I mean that we saw that was coming, did everything we could to stay save it off. What's my point? another six or seven million dollars in revenue just by by being preemptive and proactive and um you know we got it we eventually lost it but but yeah real real good points about those threats i'm excited to talk a lot more about that later for sure because you have some great insights on that um my you know my last thought as we wrap up this slide your complacency and the shiny new toy i mentioned client surveys before um certainly worries the rest of the panel worries me a lot you know uh, and, and I'll say I, I promise you uh, because we all think our clients love us they do not love us as much as we think they do um, lack of complaints is not is not love you know and, and Joel said at the beginning that more time that, that passes you know I, I think it was Joel uh, clients forget the pain you prevented you know now, now it just becomes the way so when something new comes along yeah let's let's go listen to that demo what do we have to lose and that's how it starts so Let's start talking more specifically, Nick, about churn. Okay, so you have a few things here, right? Um, You know, good enough isn't good enough. Uh, A net promoter score of seven and eight, you know, that's not gonna keep clients. Um, They're the riskiest ones, in my opinion, because at least those that are barking at you, you're aware of and you can do something about. It's the ones that are flying under the radar they aren't talking a lot, or at least we're not listening well enough. Those are the ones that are really, really um, scary. Um, What's the market saying? You know, everyone's looking for new ideas, innovations, new vendors. That's us guys hiring right now. Hiring's exploding. Companies can't recruit fast enough candidates and employees taking new offers, offers left and right. So employers are faced with these challenges. You know, how are they going to feel when us as their providers, not at the top of their game? You know, I like you, but I can't stay with you. That's what, that's what some of us are going to hear guys. What, what sticks out for you on this?
0: Um, so I, I, my, the comments that I wrote down in here that, that, that I was interested in talking about is just how quickly, um, I think the CRA space is going to see churn, um, right now, um, you know, especially, uh, following the pandemic, you mentioned all the driving factors right now, hiring, um, is exploding, um, and, um, and, 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 and so is, in addition to hiring, so is um, people getting hired and then not showing up. Yeah. So it's getting harder and harder to find talent right now. Um, and employers are, are relying very heavily on their background screening firms to turn things around as fast as they possibly can. Um, and so I think, you know, again, uh, those that invested in technology and, and making the process more efficient, Um, throughout the pandemic um, are going to be the ones that win. Um, Jason, you brought up an interesting concept too in terms of churn yesterday um, when we were talking about this and you were talking about how you think VC plays a role um, in the churn as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh, I remember what I was talking about. Um, He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Jason, I I, I think- You were talking about- yeah, go ahead, Joel.
3: I was going to say, Jason. What struck me is that you were you were talking about something that um, I had mentioned when we we talked about. You know, obviously, we tried to prepare for. We went through the slides, obviously, before we we get in yeah. a webinar together, so we we can provide some value to people. But um, we told people- point, I I think the, the we didn't we're just winging this. But the uh, the the thing that Jason said that was really striking, and I think it was more elegant than 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 I'm going to put it. But um there's consolidation in the space we all know this right and i think with the i think the great rehire we're about at that we're about at the front door of the great rehire so what's going to happen companies are going to revenues are going to soar companies are going to jostle around there's going to be consolidation both on the employer front and on the cra front because as jason put it and this was the point private equity is is coming into the cra market margins are going up it's a sustainable business, kind of like payroll, and I'll say it because I'm an outsider. Payroll ain't sexy. CRA sometimes isn't considered super sexy, but it's profitable, and we know that. And a lot of you know our audience should know that. So private equity is going to come into the the game too. This is going to jostle things up. This is going to move the pieces around. So we're going to. Some of us are going to experience churn in this call because of those because of those market forces.
0: Joel, I have a That's question. What I meant. What? <laughs> Jason couldn't have said that better himself <laughs> and, and Jason
3: and eloquent are not two words I hear in the same sentence
2: often.
0: ever or elegant um
3: I actually thought he put it well I'm not I'm not siding with Jason I'm gonna I'm gonna back him up because you guys are ganging up on him but
0: <laughs> just a sign of things to come Joel I yes. uh, question for you since you know the three of us uh Jason Kevin and I are very narrowly focused on on the CRA world um In within the greater HR tech community, are are you seeing the same uh, possibility of churn and same evidence of it?
3: Same thing. Um, So, and I think here the pressure here here's sort of the market dynamic and the pressure. Right. Um, You look at it on let's let's take it in TA TA tech space. Just look at TA you know talent acquisition. Um, A lot of the point solutions are going to be forced to work harder than they have. Like there's going to be more demand. Companies are going to hire more recruiters. They're going you know, as soon as you hire more recruiters, they're going to hire more tools. So sourcing tools, um, diversity and inclusion tools are hot. Um, we're going to see more and more of those tools being utilized. That means that some of us that might be providing some overlap in the Venn diagram to those services are going to get squeezed by more specialty vendors. On the HCM side, we're going to see people that go from right now, maybe they've cut their you know hcm or their lightweight uh, employee management system of some sort and they're going to start to bulk up again and they're going to they're going to expand in size so they're going to be looking for the next level of hcm solution and it's the same thing with CRAs like maybe you know what's been good enough up to now um, some employers are going to see a big opportunity for growth um, in certain areas healthcare, financial services obviously hospitality and travel and some of us in the CRA space that have been just good enough are going to get pinched by some of the other bigger vendors that are trying to swallow up that business aggressively now because those companies are worth watching. So that, that's my thought on it, Nick.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I see uh, leaders going to their department managers and saying, hey, go get go give me a discount. Last year was rough. Uh, we're trying to cut costs. I, I, I agree with everything we've said about the great rehire, um, but some shops are still struggling there can and their canon will be some churn you know just just based on that. Um, I, I've often said uh, the idea of, hey, we figured it out, so should you. We've all learned how to teach our kids math at the kitchen table. We've all looked up, we've all figured out how to work from home. We've all figured out how to still add value to our businesses in non-traditional ways. Companies just aren't going to be as tolerant as they might have been in the past um, on seemingly simple, uh, repeatable drops. So operational focused, um, is, is, is something that still matters.
1: I think um, especially, <laughs> especially now that we're, you know, 16 months or whatever into the pandemic, like using the pandemic as an excuse for not being able to operate efficiently is no longer an excuse. Yeah. You yep. should have figured it out by now. Yep. Um, and I see people still relying on that. So, you know, I also see a lot of uh, account managers that I talk to spending most of their time fighting fires and not tactically and strategically uh, worrying about the future of the account. Uh, everything is, is looking at what you did wrong or what you need to correct now, but you're not looking forward at all. And you need to be strategic, especially with your larger accounts.
3: I think um, to that point, one of the takeaways that I would offer um, that is unscripted for this call, that's I think going to be kind of thematic through our presentation, is now is that if, there, if you subscribe, not everybody's feeling flush. And I realize that, like I, I'm, I'm selling hope here. I think a lot of us will feel more flush in a couple of months the light in the hologram will become brighter. Like I I do believe that I'm not just being optimistic for the sake of being the optimist on a webinar. Um, That said, I think if you believe a shred of that, if you you can subscribe to a shred of that, I think it's time to not only look at your underlying systems and make sure that you're ready to go again at full speed, but I also think this is a perfect opportunity to reach out to to, uh, as many customers as you can. Maybe you're an owner operator, maybe you're a GM, maybe you're a VP, maybe you're a director, somebody with some title, it's a good time to reach out to some of those accounts and have a conversation and maybe ask what they're seeing in the market and identify some of those um, uh, warm spots and making certain that you remind them that you're their partner. I think that that goes a long way. So I I know that um, in one of the businesses that I advise, a SaaS services business, the CEO is doing calls right now, they're in the hiring space, CEO is doing on his calendar every day. He's got uh, 90 minutes where he talks to three of their biggest customers and just does a conversation. He's got a couple of scripted questions to open the dialogue, and he tells me that that's the best 90 minutes of the day that he spends and the most valuable uh, hours of the week that he's that he that he has right now because he's he's uh, predicting upsell from these customers. He's getting referrals. He's getting references. He's making uh, friends. And he's influencing business and and i think that might be something that we take away from this guy
0: that's a really cool idea um the other uh, no, yeah how novel
1: how novel nick just talk to your clients guys
0: yeah yeah i mean we right. we actually we we did a lot of that I mean, right. we had
1: you know we had executive sponsors for our biggest clients and we were very proactive about it um but i think that a lot of times you think i need to contact my biggest clients but you have more than just your biggest clients um, and, and those people that you're in your contacts at those medium sized and smaller clients aren't going to stay there forever. They're going to go to be, you know, they could be one of your bigger clients one day too. You want to give them a great experience. Yep.
2: Yep. yep. Nick, yeah. let's make, let's make your comment and then move move to the next I was going to say
3: yeah. real quick, Jason, yeah. um, to your point, maybe it's not your biggest customers. Maybe it's a simple going through your client roster for, for 30 minutes a day and link and, and hitting people on LinkedIn, some of the stakeholders at your clients and just saying, sending them a nice
1: note. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I mean, show, acknowledge Kevin, what you, Kevin, what am I going to say now? <laughs> well, you want to uh, show them the love. They just
2: want love. You know, Joel, Joel made a real nice point. Um, and I, I was going to talk about it later, but, but I'll, I'll thread it in now. You know, Joel's talking about just treating people as people. Um, and for all the talk about automation and technology and all those things are good. Uh, we need to make sure that the human element remains. People buy from people. People fire people. People don't really fire their friends. So let's not forget the human impact of this. You know, there's there's one person right now I know listening who loves apple pucker all day, morning, noon, and night. Apple pucker. Send him a bottle. You, you don't have to get crazy. You don't have to do courtside tickets at the carrier dome, but just interact with people as people. Um, and, and too often I think we forget that.
0: Wow, so there is one person in this country that likes apple Pucker. Huh?
2: <laughs> and we <we've> found <Yeah>. <laughs> <liked her.
0: laughs> Um, Hey, uh, Kevin, I this has little to do with uh, the the risk of churn necessarily, but it's something that I think we missed when we really introduced the concept, and 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 that is, you know, why do we talk about client retention? And you always said this over the years yeah. that it is easier to keep a client and more profitable to keep a client than it is to go find a new one, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and there's, you know, so let's dig into that for 30 seconds. Um, yeah, we all know that's true. Well, what do you do about it? How do you do it? Some of them are the ideas that we're just talking about now. Be a human, call them, talk to them. Talk about American Idol for a half hour. It's not a wasted phone call. Talk about Real Housewives of New Jersey. Client surveys are fabulous ways to deepen those relationships, fabulous ways to upsell. Um, you know, too often uh, I, we, when we think of sales, we think of revenue. We always think new, new, new. Well, that's great, but sometimes we can get new from old. Um, sometimes if, if, if the old goes, we can't bring on enough new to cover what we lost. So we got to think of all this stuff together. That's a great point, Nick, and I'm glad you brought it up.
3: I, I go a step above that. So I might sound like the, uh, the wonk Uh, on on the, you know, we're talking about people. Feel free, that's
0: usually me, go ahead.
3: Yeah, well, good, I'll take the egghead approach here then. Um, I set, so I always think about incenting our staff or our associates internally, um, incenting them for the outcomes that I want, right? As the leader of maybe a go-to-market function or revenue function. And it is about the revenue. It's about the Benjamins, right? Like, so I, I think about it this way. Like, I want to set a goal for my team. If I want my team to actually do this stuff, instead of like, and I've, I've had a lifetime of this where I'm like, hey, you know, and, and we'll get into this about um, why can leaders spot signs of churn and maybe associates can't. That's a setup later on down the road that we've talked about because there's something there. But more to the point, like we could all be leaders and talk about, hey, team, you got to be out there talking to people. And you might have a, a you know, a team meeting or yep. a company wide meeting. But I think you got to set objectives, and I think I think you have to tie a quantitative goal to it—an incentive, a reward, a milestone, a goal—and maybe that's an upsell goal. Maybe it's just a matter of a simple goal to start with, like how many accounts, how many customers have we touched that we haven't talked to in six months? Um, something simple, maybe to start. But set your team a goal because you want to move the inertia. You want to get, you want to mobilize your associates to start doing these things that we're talking about, even if it's small. And I like a quantitative anchor in the, in the, uh, love it in the ground. Totally agree. Totally agree. That's, that's a good comment to finish up on.
2: All right. So yeah, the, the, uh, oh questions and, and here's a few now, the four of us look at these, and yeah, these are o's. Uh, we see them right away. Many of you looking at these will say, "Yeah, that's common sense. I know that," but it's still something we're really, really worried about. You know, Joel, what's the what's kind of the problem as you see this here?
3: I mean, I, I think I stole my own thunder um, in the in the last slide. To be, I I think I jumped over uh, a little quick, but it's really here's here's my thesis that as an executive or leader or somebody that's been around this space um, you kind of can operate telepathically it's just like the four of us panelists like we've been kind of know each other we've been on this for a while like i know i'm not one of the three uh, headless horsemen here but um i can get in jump in and riff because i've been doing this long enough right or hopefully maybe right, right. people will vote me down right. but the the point is um you can operate telepathically when you're senior and you, can, and you can operate and read through sort of the customer messages and, and hear through the din, these empathic, you have this empathic view of like what your customers are actually telling you. But my question is more of a question um, that you need to ask yourself. Do my six month in associates, are they able to be empathic enough to listen for these things? And an example, Kevin is like, you know, can I have a copy of my contract? And I say this to uh, customer success leaders all the time. And they're like, oh, God, no, that's bad. (laughs) Rip your heart out. Like, it's coming, right? The other shoe's about to drop. But, you know, watch a six-month associate react to that. They're like, sure. Here it is. Yeah, let me go get you. Yeah, your renewal date's on August 5th. Bye. Oh, glad Next. to help you today. Are you satisfied with the response? Yes. Green green face, happy. Yeah. Um,
0: uh,
3: meanwhile, back at the ranch, the FPG, you know, the, the finance people are like, bad, bad. You yeah. know, we're, we're pulling contracts here. So in the, the red lights are going off. So I think it's this, you know, I've made my point, but it's this empathic knowledge. Like, do your staff have this empathic knowledge? And that was a problem that we wanted to stop, not to infomercial for sturdy, but the answer is no. Oftentimes, like there's some stuff hidden in there. Like, hey, have you met our new VP of risk management? Bells and whistles should go off, right?
2: Yep. Have you and, met our new
1: VP of procurement?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, right.
2: and even if you know, and I think more of the smaller and midsize shops on the on the call here, um, yeah, maybe I do spend part of my day doing this. Um, for 15 years, I read every email going in and out of our client box, but that's a lot of time and money, you know, there's an opportunity cost to that. You know, I'm thinking of some of the people on the call who say to themselves, yeah, I can do that. I can spot that question, but they spend half of the day redlining a vendor agreement or the other half of the day doing a sales pitch or two hours negotiating with the landlord about their future lease. Um, You know, there's just a lot of things as executives we do that, that don't have anything to do with assembling background checks on a day to day basis. And, you know, when the four of us kind of, um, Whiteboarded some ideas. You, you know, we, we saw real, real challenges here for, for organizations handling this. So uh, Jason, yeah, Jason Nick, what are your thoughts, guys? I, I,
0: well, I was just I am actually gonna ask a question of Joel. So the things that you see up here on the screen, as well as probably 10, 20 other things, um, are very obvious when you get them. And I think it's a point well taken that maybe um, you know, senior executives will notice these these questions as opposed to junior associates. But how about the stuff that they're not telling you or they're not asking for? And this is why I'm so intrigued by what you guys are doing at Sturdy. Can you talk a little bit about signals that people are using uh, that they're not necessarily telling you about?
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, one of um, one of the classic ones is uh, competitor mentions or like a watch list, for example. So... Um, I, I've seen this in some of the tickets and some of our customers where it's like, hey, okay, do you have, you know, that somebody will at the customer will write one of our customers, a vendor of software or services, and say, hey, do you have this feature just like Jobvite, if you're an applicant tracking, you know, and you'll all of a sudden you're like, well, hold on a second, how do you know Jobvite has that kind of intricate feature? Yeah. That's because somebody had contacted that customer and probably sold them on this new careers page thing or whatever it may have been. And that's a a real, real time, real world example. Well, that's, that's a problem that needs to get escalated. So oftentimes because customer success people or support people are managing so many customers. Remember, these people are oftentimes just keeping up. They're, you know, they're drinking from the fire hose. They say, no, I'm sorry, you know, Ms. Ms. Customer, we don't have that feature. But it's on a roadmap, which is a really easy standard response and kind of gets you out of, kind of, you out of the conversation. Yep, yep. Well, that customer goes back and says, well, that's just another reason to maybe go down this procurement path with like a job bite or whatever. Um, so that's one of the signals, Nick, um, that we see. We see other things like, um, why am I paying for this? Oh, well, because you signed up for it or, you know, because you, it was part of your package, you know, um, that is either a downgrade or an upsell signal that needs to get escalated to somebody that might be able to unwind it. You're either going to save some revenue or you might even be able to find new revenue. There are feature and service requests buried in customer um, service messages all the time that aren't getting to the right people. Maybe a product owner, maybe somebody that configures your systems or maybe somebody that you know can configure whatever software that you're using a different way, but the customer doesn't really know how to ask the question. And they're becoming more and more frustrated over time. Those are, those are really common.
1: You know, I'll take that a a, a level uh, deeper. Um, You know, you mentioned, you know, mentioning competitors and stuff like that. Uh, You know, we also would hear them mentioning products that are branded for a specific company too. So, you know, can you do a, you know, DAC search? We know, we we know that's higher, right? You know, so that we've, we've seen a lot of those things. Uh, So obviously they're hearing it from somebody or somewhere, somebody's presenting it to them. Uh, So those are, those are things we listen for as well.
2: Yep. Yeah, so Nick, let's pivot now into a couple ideas that we had on, on how to prevent this. You know, how do we prevent it, and how do we take advantage of it? Um, you know, big gap I see is is uh, especially for midsize and now larger shops where support and and the more strategic account management are handled by different people. So in those organizations, you know, too often the day to day support team just isn't tasked with that high level strategic resolution, right? Um, but the account management team isn't tasked with the day-to-day in a vacuum. That's, yeah, maybe that's okay, right? Conceptually, it's okay. Well, the problem is when they don't know what each other is doing, then that's that's where we have risks. So, you know, the support team is getting blasted by the client for not being in the loop with conversations they're having with their account manager. And the account manager has egg on their face when he or she walks in to do the eight-person leadership review because they're flying too high to see what's going on on the ground. You know, that the... the they gotta to talk to each other. And, and the problem is we we conceptually consider those siloed roles when, when they just need to be um, uh, much more integrated. Um, Joel, uh, riff a bit on your, on, on the threats that, that we mentioned early in the call and how to create and deepen those.
3: Yeah, I think there's, um, so I think the, I think the macro view that i keep coming back to is i think the three p's in this in this regard and this is a takeaway for folks but and now's the time to look at your people so enabling people i mean if you think about what we invest a lot of money in in sas businesses as sales enablement so investing in our people so they understand how to identify these signals and identify what's important and distill what's important and what needs to be slowed down on and and to work harder on, right? And, and to emphasize um, the other thing that I think about is processes. the second P what are our process for communicating with these people? What is our process for escalating these issues? What is our process for contacting these customers? And to Kevin, to your specific point, what is our process for having multiple relationships in an account? If you're not, the multi-threading is a takeaway. You have to be multi-threaded in your account. You have to have different people. Even if you know the CEO, doesn't matter. Right. You have to be multi-threaded. Yep. Um, and and, and then he- I think Go ahead.
2: You brought up a
1: word that really that resonated with me, and it's it's something I heard uh, often um, in my past. Um, and you know, I, I get it that people internally, your internal employees, um, things happen internally, and you you need to escalate things occasionally. But when you start hearing from a customer that they need to escalate an issue because it's not being taken care of, game over. I mean, and 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 I've seen it happen time and time and time again, and escalating, you know, to, to multiple different levels, like. What's not being taken care of? Who's feeding somebody a line of BS? Yeah, and it's, it's not just that client. It's, it's
2: 10 others, right? Right. Because, you know, it's like a cockroach. You don't have one. You got 1,000 of them. Um, you know, a, a story from one of my clients last week. My last week, a client of mine lost about 50% of an enterprise account. Um, you know, we think of uh, Speed and the, 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 the great rehire, and this account was a QSR account. Uh, restaurants, pizza parlors, et cetera. And candidates could just walk down the street and start working at the competitors' pizza shop. So company said, yeah, we're just going to stop doing this, you know, for for time being. So an awful decision, right? None of us on this call would recommend it. But to Joel's comment about the threads, um, the thread that 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 this organization had was with the VP of of Talent acquisition VP of HR—that seems like a really strong bond and relationship, right? And they had other threats, but what they didn't have were threats to the decision makers. And they didn't find out until it was too late that the decision whether to do or not do wasn't in the VP's hands; it was in the the CFO's hands. Um, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah, you you try and you try and prevent that in the future, but you know, it's a real life example here that it's not only the depth of uh, the the depth and the number of threats that you have, but it's also ascertaining, and this is the art of it. Who has the power? Finding yeah. out who has the power, really important.
0: And say that of it? The hierarchy, yeah. so I, sorry Joel, for cutting you off. Um, yeah. it, so we address like broadening your relationship within the organization. And we've talked about department to department, but you just kind of tackled one in terms of hierarchy. And it is important that throughout the hierarchy, you recognize who your buyer is. Uh, so you have a decision maker, you have somebody that signs off on, on an account, you have your users of your information, their import is extremely valuable as well. But if you don't have perspectives from each level they're in, even if it all is within one department, um, you stand the risk of of, of of losing out somehow.
3: I think that's a, that's a nod, that's a good point, Nick. And it's a nod, I, I started talking about the three P's and I'm not just married to this throwaway Thing, but I think it's enabling people. I think it's tightening your processes, and I think it's having some sort of products. And this isn't a segue to sturdy infomercial. It could be any product, but to, to Nick's point, account mapping is what he's talking about. So, in the enterprise sales world, for example, or enterprise account management world, you go up and down the power line. That's what you know the slang for it. But it's having an account map. So, um, and Kevin and I talked about this in one of our just conversations. We were kind of shooting the breeze. And one of the things that we said was um, like Workday, not everybody loves Workday, but Workday is a very successful company. And one of the things that their sales leader, go-to-market leaders do phenomenally well is make their, uh, require their uh, teammates, I think that's what they call them, uh, to go and basically account map and put together like a visual map in their Salesforce, not unnecessarily a notebook, but if that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do or a grease board. But they have an account map of, you know, Jane reports to Susan and Susan reports to this person and this person reports to this person. And they kind of know the power line and how the Plinko works out and where the dollars come from because if they sense an issue they will go and start to move through the power line to correlate and get information and get the story and get their name back in the front load. They're also an incredibly, um, their net dollar retention, meaning their retention rate plus their upsell rate, essentially, that's a simplified version is one of the highest in enterprise software. The reason being is they take as much of the deal off the table in the beginning as they possibly can and effectively crawl through that account map to sell additional SKUs. And I think we could take yeah. a lesson from them. They're amazing. Yep. At it. So I yep. think those are things that we can be thinking about. You can do them on a smaller scale. You don't need to be work day.
2: Yeah. And I, I you know, what I love about what Joel said there is, and, and you can consider those both from a, a people standpoint, but a, a, a dollars standpoint, you know, we staff our businesses to do the work. So if I staff my business to do the work, I'm not doing any of what Joel just said. If I staff my business to do what Joel just said, I'm either spending more money, I have more people or I have less people doing the work. And there's a blend there, right? But you know, as, as we think about um, what Joel just said, you know a lot of us, a lot of us just are not doing
3: that. Um, the interesting thing in payroll <laughs> um, payroll space again, which I think there are some parallels to CRAs, everybody, the, the beautiful thing about payroll and CRA is just about every employer needs them both. That's the good news. That's why people, that's a, you know, to Jason's point that he, he did make um, private equity is coming into our space because kind of everybody, it's like death and taxes. It's sort of like you need to do payroll. You need to do background checks. It's, it's a compliance thing, right? So point made, you all know that, but the, the, the thing about it, so how do we innovate? And I've always thought about this in the CRA perspective, like I can't make San Mateo County give me results faster, like they are not automated, right? Like you can only call them or do whatever you folks do. I've never understood how every all the sausage is made. But to that end, like how do we, you know, so what do we do? How do we innovate? Well, there's innovation from a product perspective. And there are some CRAs that have done a pretty good job. We all know who they are, that they claim their APIs. And this is better than that. And, you know, they're doing this at scale for this big employer. But as a small CRA, you can innovate by basically affecting your operational efficiency. That That is a lift. If you look at your own business and you said, you know, next year, I'd like to do another million five more. I'm not going to add new product. That means I'm either going to throw a bunch of money at the top of the funnel and go try to get a bunch of new customers, maybe hire some salespeople and bring on staff, throw another body on the fire. Or the other thing you could do is some of that but take 25% of that and look at your internal processes and systems and your already existing staff and see how they're working and get operational efficiency out of your business. Just take the tuning fork to it and start to tune, yep. tune, tune. And I think that's a really, um, I think that's something I'd encourage people to do because you will find money.
1: Yeah, for sure. Totally agree.
2: Yep, yep. Nick, let's let's segue to the, the next slide here. Um, hey, one,
0: one other thing I wanted yeah, yeah. to share just in terms of broadening your relationship. This is another thing that I, Uh, I have been subscribing to for the last several years is um, beyond all the things we talked about, about broadening the relationship by knowing the different people in the organization. Another thing that I've been very successful with lately is is creating peer-to-peer relationships within the organization. Um, CEO talks to CEO, CFO talks to CFO, head of product talks to head of product. Um, The more, again, the more you can kind of uh, just keep that flywheel going with everybody knowing and always having a point of contact, uh, the better off you're going to be.
2: And, and you know, as, as, we, as we segue to the next slide, Nick, um, what haven't we talked about yet? Um, we haven't talked about um, the KPIs. And the KPIs are really, really important, right? We're talking about relationships. We're talking about the flywheel. We're talking about the threads. Um, one of the things that I always like to say, and it really is a blessing, you know, Nick, Jason, and I get to do what we do because we did it inside for 15, 20 years, and now we're kind of outside, but we get to look over, we get to look in, we're always networking, learning, talking to our peers within the industry. And it is extremely common, you know, for example, I'll go inside an organization, I'll say what do clients think? And, and I will hear answers around KPIs and turnaround time and hit rates, um, and costs, but what I don't hear is when we did our last client survey, we got a 9.8 on the four key questions that we use to measure satisfaction. Or I was just having lunch with the head of so and so two weeks ago. You know, we don't hear the building, we don't hear the relationships, and that's how you play defense, guys, because we're going to miss a record at some time, at some point, we're going to get the San Mateo County search that takes three weeks, and there's going to be people calling and people upset. All these things we're doing now are, are preventing us. From losing that business in in the future. So um, as we look at this one, um, I'm going to, before I open it up to the the panel, I'm just going to make a a comment on on collecting data. So now I'm going to put the KPI hat back on. Um, You need the information you need to run your business, whether it's about how you're performing operationally or some of the the client um, communications that, that we need to capture, the things that Joel was talking about. A lot of times, as organizations will take the approach that says, well, if I can't automate the data collection, if I can't get what I need using technology, I'm not going to get it. And I think it's a bad decision that leads to an even worse outcome, because I can tell you that for 15 years, a pen, a piece of paper, and an Excel spreadsheet, you can do it based on just that. So don't punt on something you think you really, really need just because it's tough to get it. Sometimes we got to say, all right, it's tough to get it, and there's an opportunity cost to it, but we just got to get what we, we need to get. So... Uh, that's my that's my riff on that, guys. Um, yeah.
0: Or as a follow up comment, when this and this stop working, yeah, don't stop looking for digital solutions that can help you do uh, what you're trying to do, and it can do it in a fraction of a second. So, yeah, of course, it's going to cost you something to do that, but what you know, what's the opportunity cost, right?
2: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Jason, Joel, any any thoughts?
1: No, I mean, I think, well, yeah, I didn't say no, I mean, yes. Um, I, I, and I think it's more applicable here uh, than, than in a later slide when we talk about it. But when we talk about KPIs, um, SLAs are one of your best yeah, thank um, you. barometers of that. And, I, you know, I think I, I, I think we put it the wrong slide, actually. So um, I, I think that um, I, I know that I used to hate when a client would, would say to me, you know, we want an SLA on file because I would think, oh, my God, I hated it because they're going to hold me to something. But then I realized, no, I love it because I can hold them to something and they can hold me to something that we both agree on. And I think that uh, these days, service level agreements written by a client and agreed on by both parties are marching orders for exactly how you're gonna administer the account, how you're gonna administer the services. You're you're gonna have outliers there because you know, shit happens sometimes. Um, but for the most part um, it's the instruction manual for how the account's going to operate. And at the end of the year or at the end of the quarter, when you sit down with your client, that's your benchmark. And if you did everything you said you're going to do, then everybody should be happy.
0: Well, and, and to your point in our industry, Jason, you know, this uh, is that you're only judged by, you know, the last background check you did if you don't have SLAs. So, you know, unfortunately in the one time out of a hundred, that something takes longer than it should, or you know, God forbid, there's there, there's a missed record. Um, you still can point to, okay, I understand that this happened, and yes, it's bad, but look at the body of work, and the, and and that gives you the 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 great equalizer to say, okay, so we got it right 99.9 percent of the time, uh, kind of thing, as opposed to you got this one wrong. Uh,
1: now taking three steps back to what Joel was talking about earlier about the whole hierarchy of an account, one of the most important things you can do, aside from bringing these SLAs forward on every quarterly review you do, but when you have a new person that's in charge, or a new person that you're reporting to is an account, show them the SLA. Show them exactly how you do what you do, what you guys have agreed to, and if there's an issue with it, it's something you can revisit down the road when you're going to renegotiate the SLA.
2: What I love about SLAs, and, and I say that as someone that has done a 180 on them over my career, is it, it removes the emotion from the equation. You know, to Nick's comment about, you know, the, the, you're only as good as the last bad background check, right? If the last bad background check of the house didn't burn down, then I guess you're safe. Um, you know, we all know and can think of examples without thinking too hard of really emotional conversations angry phone calls, emails, et cetera, over a particular county, candidate, employment verification, whatever. And like Nick said, you know, the SLA allows you to kind of take a step back and say, this is what you asked us for. This is what we're delivering. Are we cool here? Um, You know, all, all, all three of us recognize, you know, we remember years ago, you know, same client we talked about early in the call, we would do quarterly reviews. And I don't always recommend quarterly reviews because quarterly reviews, it can get real granular real quickly, right? Uh, A successful review is not going candidate by candidate, page four, page five. Um, You want to be talking about big picture things when eight leaders are in the room. But the three of us vividly remember, we do this quarterly review and in would come kind of the day-to-day background check manager with her file folder of all of the, you know, 100 employment verifications, each with one misspelled word. Well, we did 2,000 that month, and we're sorry that on 5% of them, we typed there wrong. Um, but, but that's kind of what the account would be. Now, that person's boss would say, yeah, we're good. <laughs> like We're still okay. Um, but if you didn't have those agreements in place, then the account becomes
1: about the misspelled word, and it doesn't become about the 99.9. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add one thing putting my, my expert witness hat on. I also love them for, this, for the fact of defensibility. Um, and when an account is, you know, if the background screening company is pulled into a lawsuit for an end user, um, you know, it's proof that you were doing exactly what the party, uh, signed off on.
2: That's a cool point. That's a cool point. Joel, do you, you know, we're, we're an industry that I don't want to say by and large, but I kind of think it's a lot more common that we don't have SLAs then we do have SLAs. In, in industries that you've been in,
3: is that similar or is that, is that markedly different? I was thinking about it in the lens of, um, I actually was trying to put myself in, in um, CRA land as a sales leader or a salesperson and how much I would actually like to have an SLA and say, okay, as a part of my opportunity process um, to get this new customer to sign up, Um, I want to now take us to have a 60 minute meeting with leaders because then I get the leaders to the table and I say, we're going to go through this exercise to build the SLA and I'm going to level set because we're going to transparently tell you what we're going to do for you and we're going to agree on this service together and craft a solution for you and then we're going to put it in a box and we're all going to sign it, sign off on it and this is going to be our operating system for our relationship going forward. And over time, quarterly, biannually, whatever it may be, we can reevaluate sort of the uh, addendum of services that we've provided and the timing and so forth. And I would also give the customer, I'd build myself in a little bit of buffer if I were selling this. And I don't know if this is how background checks and and, and, uh, CRA sell the service, but I would build myself in some buffer. To say you're, we are dealing with humans, we are dealing with an inefficient thing, and I, it would give me an opportunity to kind of wrap this thing up a little bit in some of the bubble wrap, um, so I could have some leeway either way. So that that's my initial reaction to answer your question specifically, Kevin. SLAs and tech are typically um, uptime, yeah. and and uh, and and acknowledging that the service as uh, deliv- as as presented is going to be as delivered in the same availability. So we talk more about availability, um, in that, in that regard, there's much more service, I think, in the CRA business. So I, I got
2: a question, um, before the webinar that I want to throw Joel your way. Um, mm-hmm. and then we'll move to the, the recap and kind of everybody share some, some final thoughts. So I'll paraphrase the question, Joel, should I, sh- and here it is, it's, uh, should I have a dedicated support team to respond to client emails and phone calls? Um, or should I let everyone on our team answer the phones or emails as a way to kind of respond faster? And I think the implication is, if you have a dedicated support team, you know maybe that person's unavailable for an hour or two, but my public record specialist can answer the phone. Is there something that they can do to help? Um, which model do you like better?
3: I like specialization. Yeah, me too.
2: Okay, I think we're gonna.
3: I think we're gonna have the. I think we're gonna have the same answer. Why? Yeah. Um, I think it's just like anything else. Specialization breeds, um, not never perfection, but definitely a higher, uh, competency. Uh, and, 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 and I mentioned these words, I used it before this, this empathy, um, when I'm seeing these things, I have a better understanding of the customers. I have a better understanding of the trends. I have a better understanding of how to deal with certain things. I have a better understanding of what I need to escalate. And it's not willy nilly. And the customer feels like I'm kind of it's a customer perception thing. Like the person's title is this title and yeah, they might not respond in an hour, but it's 90 minutes. But that's my thought.
2: Yeah. I can give you the right answer in 45 minutes. Um, especially as we think of client risk, right? Yeah. My, my receptionist picked up the phone, (laughs) uh, after two rings, five minute callback policy, uh, and they got an answer, (laughs) but maybe it wasn't the right one. Maybe it creates more problems down the road. Um,
0: Kevin, is and, that your way of and, telling me that I should not anymore ever <laughs> agree to a five-minute callback policy? Just for
2: you, buddy. Just <laughs> for you. Um, yeah, I don't want to make things worse. Um, and our our support teams have to be good enough to sell that. Yeah. Like, yep, I might not be sitting at my desk. I might be in the conference room. But when I get back to my desk, I'm going to be able to help you. Is that good? Yeah. And if we're not good enough to sell it, then we are we shouldn't be in that role. I don't mean to be cold-hearted about it, but that's that's what I think. Um, All right. So let's, let's look at what we talked about. Let's go to the recap slide, Nick. Uh, Final thoughts from
3: our panel. I think clients leave. I think there are, if you categorize or label the reasons, if you look back six months, go take the exercise, go back through the customer, all the turns that you have. This is my takeaway. Go back through all the lost customers in the last 12 months. And sit down in the exercise of labeling why you lost them and look at the trends. You can use Kevin's piece of paper or an Excel spreadsheet. You don't need a product to do it. But I think that a deep dive there is something I can't let go. And it's a, it's a must do.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I think I'll add on to that comment, Joel. Be brutally honest. Like if if you lost a bunch of clients because of one thing or or whatever you need to be brutally honest with yourself; otherwise, you're just going to be doomed to repeat the same thing over and over and over again.
1: Yep, I agree with Nick. I don't. That's that's the closing thought that I would that I would have.
2: Yeah, um, feel free, guys, to to ping us with questions. And Nick, I'll I'll let you take us home in a sec. Um, you know, we'll we'll find you guys after. Uh, usually, we have a what's next. Um, we don't today, but uh, the screening news blog that's a great place to go. Find out industry information from from us. Uh, Background check radio. This will be on the podcast probably by tomorrow. Um, I'm on a panel at the Sherm Talent Show in August. Uh, Jason, Nick, anything coming up for you guys in the coming months?
1: No, since we have a bunch of Cleveland guys here, I'll say that uh, in the immortal words of Les Levine, of all of our of all of our webinars, this one was the most recent. <laughs> <laughs> <What happened?
0: laughs> I did not live, I, I did not think I would live to see the day that Les Levine, who I grew up with listening to on the radio, God rest his soul, uh, it would be referenced in one of our webinars. So I don't know I could top that. That's well, why. I was going
1: to call the beginning shout outs. We should call him How Come Quick. He's just in his honor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. I Real quickly here, I also want to let everybody know. Um, that we have developed an alliance with uh, Joel, with the folks at Sturdy AI um, on, on their platform and product. Um, if you're interested in learning more, please reach out to Kevin, Jason, or myself. We'll be happy to put you in touch with Joel and his group. Um, and um, that's really, that's all I have. Were there any questions that you guys saw in the, in the panel discussion that, uh, that you wanted to address?
2: Uh, Yeah, I I think we can uh, follow up with a couple of them um, uh, separately and offline. Okay. A couple of comments and uh, and stuff as we look through right now.
0: Okay. All right, great. Well, thank you all for joining us. As Kevin said at the beginning, we know that your time is valuable. We're really honored that you've uh, decided to spend some time with us and that you continue to do so. And we'll look forward to seeing you again at the next webinar. Talk to you later.
2: Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, guys. You want to stay on or?